Hey, Christ community, I am really glad to be a part of your journey with Jesus. Happy Mother's Day weekend to all the moms out there. We so appreciate the way that you impact all of our lives. Thank you for who you are and for all that you do. So just the other day, I was driving across town. I was listening to a podcast, and my iPhone was just sitting on the seat next to me. And all of a sudden, the podcast stopped. And I looked down at my phone, and it had this error message on it that I had never seen before. But I think it was, I think it was prophetic because it spoke directly to the topic that we're looking at today, the topic of anger. So here's what my iPhone said. Your iPhone temperature needs to cool down before you can use it. That is like wisdom from God, you know, not just about iPhones. That is wisdom for our society today. I was talking with a friend last week. He works in the first responder kind of public service arena. And he said to me that as he goes out on, on calls and he connects with people in various situations, the level of anger people are expressing right now and experiencing right now is something he has never seen before. It's like there is this pervasive and underlying anger that so many people are carrying right now with, with politics, with COVID, with social media, with you know, racial strife. There, there's this underlying anger that is wreaking havoc in our culture. And we can easily get caught up in that. And the consequences are significant as we see in the passage that we're looking at today in our kingdom culture series from the Sermon on the Mount. In, the, in this passage, Jesus addresses the issue of anger. And let me just warn you, he doesn't pull any punches here. So let's look together. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 21. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Like I said, these are some very strong words that make us very uncomfortable. In, in this, in this um, passage, Jesus takes something that we all agree is wrong and deserving of judgment, i.e. murder, and then he broadens the definition of murder to include anger. He says again, verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Well, I mean, with one statement, Jesus completely levels the playing field so that all of us are now included. Okay, so let's talk first about what kind of anger Jesus is talking about here. We know from other passages in the Bible that anger in and of itself is not necessarily sinful. Jesus got angry with the money changers in the temple who were exploiting people all under the guise of you know, spiritual help. There is the reality of, of, of righteous anger where we see something that's wrong and we get angry about it. We see someone who is suffering injustice and we feel anger rising in our hearts. And we realize that God is also angry about that injustice. So that's certainly one form of anger that... We all experience, but let's, let's be honest and just admit that that is not the primary form of anger we experience. More commonly, we experience the anger that Jesus is describing here. It's not about an injustice. 
It is an anger that is directed towards another person. Look again, verse 22. Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus is specifically talking about our anger towards someone else. Okay, so what causes us to be angry with another person? Usually it's because this other person is blocking us from getting something we want. You know, someone is driving too slow in our lane. Someone's not giving us, they didn't give us a raise or the grade that we think we deserve. Someone's ignoring us or not treating us the way we feel like we deserve to be treated. Someone's interrupting our conversation. They're interrupting our agenda. Someone articulating an opinion that we disagree with. And the result of these things happening in our lives is that we often get angry. We feel anger rising in our hearts against this other person. I'm amazed and sometimes horrified at how quickly anger can arise in my heart, even towards someone I love. If they say or do something that feels hurtful, sometimes it's just the tone of their voice and I can feel anger rising within me. And here's what Jesus makes so clear in this passage. This anger rarely dissipates or just disappears automatically. No, it usually escalates, which Jesus describes here in verse 22. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. This word raka is a, an Aramaic expression of abuse. It literally means empty, like you idiot, you knucklehead. Um, and the phrase you fool is similar. It's calling someone a derogatory name. Jesus is describing how our anger inside often gets expressed in damaging ways, insulting people's intelligence or their value as a person. Again, just speaking personally, there are times I am horrified at the words that come to my mind when someone makes me angry. Even if I don't say the words, I'm thinking them. The tone and seriousness of Jesus' words here force us. They force us to look at this area in our lives. Honestly, some of us, some of us watching this are in denial about our anger. You know, you think you don't have an anger problem. You've convinced yourself you don't have an anger problem, but everyone around you knows you have an anger problem. They're just afraid to tell you because you might get angry. Others of us aren't in denial. We're just professional stuffers. We have perfected the art of stuffing our anger and not letting anyone know we're angry. Now, here's what Jesus makes very clear. Either way, if we're stuffing our anger, you know, we're denying it, whatever. Either way, Jesus says we're in danger of judgment. If we're a spewer or a stewer, doesn't matter. According to Jesus in this passage, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Okay, so what does that mean exactly? That we're subject to judgment. What, what kind of judgment is Jesus talking about? On the surface, it sounds like Jesus is talking about some final judgment in the afterlife, that, that if you have an anger problem, you're going to hell, or you're, you're at least going to experience something bad on judgment day, even if Jesus is your savior. But, but is that what Jesus means here? If so, it doesn't fit very well with our understanding of the gospel, that we are saved by faith not by our works or by our lack of anger. Okay, so what is Jesus 
talking about here. I think there's, a, there's an important nuance to this idea of judgment that we often miss. The idea of judgment doesn't always refer to salvation or the afterlife. There are many passages in the Bible like this one in which the word judgment refers to us experiencing the natural consequences of our sin in this life, in the present. That's an experience of judgment. Jesus is talking in this passage about the reality that our anger destroys things now. When we let anger fester in our hearts towards someone, even if we pretend that we're not angry, we are subject to judgment, i.e. that anger will eat away at us from within. It will fill us with contempt or hatred or bitterness or distant relationships, sleepless nights, stress. And if we express our anger towards people by calling them names or whatever, that too makes us subject to judgment, i.e. that anger will damage our relationship with our children or our spouse. It will damage our reputation or our witness for Christ at work. People will distance themselves from us or try to avoid us. We will find ourselves increasingly alone and distant from genuine friendships and intimacy. It can damage our relationships in the church and hinder the unity of Jesus' body. All of these things are a very real manifestation of God's judgment right now right now. Now, please hear me. This is not an angry, vindictive judgment from God. It is a loving judgment, like a parent who disciplines a child by letting them experience the natural consequences of their actions. That's a loving thing to do. We learn from our pain. That's God's heart as well. He wants us to learn how to control our anger so that we don't cause all this damage. And that's why this warning is so strong. Jesus wants us to avoid having to experience the natural consequences of our anger. So he gives us this vivid, strong warning about what our anger will do. It will place us in a position in which we experience God's loving judgment through the natural consequences of our choices. Okay, so if that's the case, if that's what Jesus is talking about here, what do we do with verse 22? And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. That sounds like Jesus is talking about his future judgment after we die. Well, let's look a bit more closely at this verse. What's fascinating in this verse is to realize that this word translated hell is actually a literal geographic location just outside of Jerusalem. It's a place called Gehenna. It was a ravine that had a horrible history of idolatry where children were sacrificed to the god of Molech when Josiah became king centuries before Jesus came on the scene. Josiah abolished this horrible practice. So so this area then became a dumping ground for filth and corpses of criminals. Late traditions suggest that at the time of Jesus, Gehenna was still used as a garbage dump in which refuse would be burned. So in his discussion about anger, 
Jesus is giving the people this very current, very vivid image of the damage that anger causes in our lives right now. I mean, they could probably, possibly, literally see smoke rising from the south of Jerusalem as Jesus is speaking of Gehenna. They're going to look right over there. He's talking about a physical location. See, Jesus is warning us about what anger can do in our lives today. Our anger places in us a figurative, fiery garb, places us in a, a figurative, fiery garbage dump, a place where all the things that we hold dear get damaged and can be destroyed. I mean, what, what a vivid, accurate picture of what anger does within us. It will damage and destroy our experience of relational and emotional wholeness. Again, that's the judgment Jesus is warning us about. A judgment that we experience every time we say something in anger to someone else. Every time we allow our anger to get the best of us, we experience the judgment of our actions and the damage that our anger causes. The look on our child's face, the look on our parents' face, when we respond in anger to a mistake they made or a comment that they stayed. We know what it feels like to look at the carnage of our anger, either that which we expressed or that which we stuffed. Either way, the fire damage is real, which is why we long to live according to Jesus kingdom. We don't want anger to destroy our hearts, our relationships. So what is the kingdom alternative to anger? Where should our energy be directed instead? Well, there, there are three practices that Jesus encourages us to pursue. The first practice is something we talk about a lot around here, the practice of looking beneath. The way Jesus talks about anger being related to murder reveals that Jesus is constantly urging us to look at our hearts. I mean, we can say, oh, at least I'm not a murderer, but, but Jesus says, hey, if you harbor anger in your heart, it's the same thing. So when we feel anger, one of the first things we need to do is to look beneath into our hearts. We need to stop and ask, why am I feeling angry? See, angry is a secondary emotion. It is always fueled by something else, fear, insecurity, maybe a lie we're believing, and suddenly something triggers that, and we feel this anger rising up. But the real issue is not our anger. It's a sim that's a symptom. The real issue is something going on in our heart. So whenever we feel angry, it is so important to stop and look beneath. Explore with the Lord what's fueling this anger. Now, if you want more detailed information about that, I did a sermon on anger a few years ago. The link is on the description under this video. The second response Jesus urges us to have is reconciliation. So after warning us about the danger that anger can cause, Jesus then gives us two specific examples of what to do if and when we mess up in this area. Verse 23, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come 
and offer your gift. This is significant. Jesus is saying, hey, if you're in a posture of worship, you're offering a gift to the Lord, and you remember that someone has something against you. In other words, your anger caused damage or hurt in this relationship. Jesus says, if that's the case, you need to actually leave your gift at the altar. You need to stop your worship experience and go to that person and be reconciled to them. You need to ask for forgiveness and start working to rebuild that relationship, to rebuild trust where your anger has broken trust. This is what the cross of Christ enables and empowers us to do. It enables us to humble ourselves, to admit our wrong and begin rebuilding a relationship. Notice the priority Jesus gives this. He's saying, hey, if you're worshiping God, you're in the middle of worshiping God, and you remember that your anger has caused damage, you need to stop your worship and be reconciled. Then you can go back and offer your gift to the Lord. See, in the kingdom of God, relationships matter. If we don't have relational wholeness, it impacts our experience of wholeness with God. Friends, this is so important in the body of Christ right now and in our church right now. I feel like we are in a very vulnerable place in this area of anger as it relates to mask wearing and vaccines. Those who aren't wearing masks or aren't getting vaccinated can look down on those uh, who are as being fearful. And those who, who are wearing masks or have been vaccinated, they can look down on those other people as being selfish. And, and I'm already sensing some tension around these things in our church family. And I want to call us to something higher than that. I want to call us to honor one another, even when we disagree on these things, and to not let anger undermine the unity we have in Christ. We can agree to disagree, and we can do so agreeably, okay? All right, second example, verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. <clears throat> Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've play, paid the last penny. See, Jesus is using a legal example that we all know is true. If you can have mediation or reconciliation conversation before you go to court, that is way better, especially if you're guilty. If your anger has caused some damage... Do all you can to try to be reconciled with your adversary, the person that you hurt, ahead of time, you know, rather than trying to fight it in court. Because in the end, you will pay for the wrong you did. So why not try to be reconciled ahead of time before it goes to a judge? Now, if you wonder about the details of kind of how-tos of reconciliation, I just encourage you to look back at the Beatitudes we've been studying for the past couple months. We've talked about the importance of gentleness, of being merciful, and, and some of the specifics about being a peacemaker. So I encourage you to go back and listen again to those messages. Now, there's a third response that Jesus encourages us to have, 
as an alternative to anger. It's actually found in a parallel passage in the book of Luke. Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. When we get angry, we tend to curse other people and it fuels this cycle of damage. And so Jesus says, let's completely upend this cycle of anger. Let, let's get our relationships on a completely different trajectory. How do we do that? Through the power of blessing. Blessing is this incredibly powerful spiritual resource that all of us have in our possession, and it doesn't cost anything to use. Each one of us has the power to speak blessing and life and affirmation onto other people, even people who have hurt us or disappointed us or made us angry. We have the power to speak blessing upon them. And when we choose to do that, it literally pours spiritual life into that person's heart and into our relationship. God tells Abraham in Genesis 12 that he wants his people to be a people of blessing. See, this is who we are called to be, not people who spew anger. We are called to be people who speak blessing and life. This is our calling as God's people, as people of his kingdom. And the impact can be huge. When we choose to speak blessing onto people, blessing upon people, it completely shifts the spiritual atmosphere. It changes our heart focus and it releases life into this other person. I mean, I talk to people all the time who as adults are struggling with a sense of failure or insecurity, never feeling like they measure up. And when I ask them about their story, they often tell me about how growing up, they never heard from their parents the words, I love you, I'm proud of you, I delight in you. For whatever reason, the blessing of those words was withheld and this person grew up not feeling loved and affirmed for who they are. I mean, it's crazy to think about how the entire trajectory of someone's life can be changed through the simple power of speaking blessing. Can you imagine the impact in our marriage, in the hearts of our children, even adult children, in our extended family relationships, our work relationships, our friendships, if we focused our energy on speaking life and blessing into other people, rather than speaking anger and disappointment and criticism and judgment, it would be amazing. It would be amazing. We can literally change the trajectory of someone's life allowing God's love and life to enter into places where distance and coldness have become the norm. You know, I think of the 242 Peruvian children who were sponsored by people in this church last February through the, the, the Compassion Weekend we had. We, those of us who sponsored, we had the opportunity to write letters to these children via the Compassion app, which makes it super simple. But every letter, letter we send is an opportunity to speak blessing. I think of the pen pal opportunity we have right now. 
at Maplewood School where we can write a few letters to children at that school, specific children, during the month of June, many of whom are not receiving blessing and affirmation in their family context. And we can do that. Um, You can still sign up for that this weekend to be a pen pal for a student at Maplewood. When we practice speaking blessing, we're going to see our spouse's attitude change. We're going to see our friend's countenance change. We're going to see relationships heal. We're going to see our children's faces light up instead of seeing them weighed down with the disappointment or anger that they maybe experience from us. All of us have within ourselves the power to speak affirmation, encouragement, value into the lives of people around us, to say things like, I am so proud of you. You are an incredible listener. You are an amazing leader. You're an amazing person. I love being your dad. I love being married to you. I see in you this incredible gift. I enjoy who you are. I am so thankful for you. Those are the kinds of things that all of us can say. And if, if, if saying things like that is difficult for you, to say that to your spouse, to say it to your children, to say it to other people, friends or whatever, man, if that's difficult, it would be worth exploring why that is. Why your default posture towards coworkers or an adult child or your spouse, why your posture is to withhold blessing. That's worth exploring. You know, I'm guessing there's, there's probably a wound underneath that that the Lord wants to fill with his love so that you are freed to love and bless those around you. We have the privilege, man, if maybe that's what we experienced growing up, we have the privilege of breaking that cycle, of, of redirecting that legacy so that it doesn't continue to get passed on from generation to generation. Again, what an incredible privilege we have to pour healing and life into the people around us, even our enemies. (laughs) I mean, Jesus says, bless those who curse you. What an amazing demonstration of the gospel when we're able to speak blessing upon people who curse us. I mean, talk about changing the dynamic of a relationship. Rather than pouring gasoline on the fire of anger in in that relationship, we're suddenly bringing water. We're bringing water. Now, the Bible is filled with examples of of things we can say that will bless others, things that can actually impart to people a blessing. And in just a few minutes, we're going to have the opportunity to speak one of those blessings over the people around you, your children, your spouse, your friends. We do this every Mother's Day weekend in our services. We want to make sure that every child in this church family receives uh, a blessing spoken over them. We, we do this instead of child dedication. A few years ago, we realized the Bible doesn't really talk about dedicating our children. It talks about parents blessing their children. And so we wanted to provide a way to help equip parents to speak blessing over their children, not just on this weekend, but regularly. This is something I did every night with my children before they went to bed. And I believe it poured life into them. So in a couple of minutes, you're going to have the opportunity to speak a blessing over someone around you. But before we do that, I want us to take a few moments for prayer regarding our own anger. So would you pray with me? And I want to invite you to quiet your heart. Just quiet your heart. 
And let's just ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us about our anger? Are, are there places in our hearts where our anger is bringing destruction? Open our eyes to see those places. Show us where maybe we've been denying our anger or maybe we've been stuffing our anger, but either way it causes damage. So open our eyes. And I pray that you would help us see, help us look beneath to see what our anger is ultimately rooted in so that we can experience you in that place. Holy Spirit, is there reconciliation that's needed? Do we need to apologize to someone? Do we need to own our anger? Do we need to ask for forgiveness? Would you give us the courage to do that as soon as possible? To pursue healing and reconciliation, restoration of relationships. And Father, we pray also that you would help us speak blessing to the people around us. All right, so let's do that right now. We're going to put on the screen one of the most well-known blessings in the Bible from Numbers chapter 6. This is the blessing that I often used when I was praying over my children or blessing them. So let, let's just look at it. Let me just read it first and then and explain a little bit of it, and then we'll use it as a blessing. So here's what the blessing says. It says, Now may the Lord bless you, and keep you. There is talking about him protecting, protecting us. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you. This is talking about this person experiencing God's delight in them, that his face is towards them. They experience his favor and grace upon them, which can bring such incredible joy. And then at the end, it says, and give you peace. This word shalom, it refers to just a whole bodied peace of mind and heart and, and our, our physical bodies, just very, very powerful. So when we speak this blessing, we are imparting this to whoever we are speaking this to. Okay, so right now, if there are children with you, um, or if they're in another room, grab them. We're going to take a moment and speak this blessing over them. When I did this with my children, when I do it, I like to lay a hand on their head or their shoulder when I do that. And it, it, it's not just children. If there's a mom there with you or a dad or whatever, we're going to just, you have plenty of opportunity to speak this blessing over your mom, over your dad, over whoever is there. Because what you're going to do right now, just I feel free to pause this video right now so that everyone gets blessed. Everyone has, around you has this blessing spoken over them. So go ahead and pause the video right now and do that. So Father, thank you for this privilege of blessing, speaking blessing upon people. And I thank you that this is something all of us can do. Would you help us be people of blessing rather than anger? To be people of blessing who speak and impart blessing 
to people around us in our neighborhood and our family and our workplace and our school, God, that we would be people who not only carry your blessing, but also speak blessing into the lives of others. And we pray for amazing things to happen as a result. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.